Welcome to the MLHS Podcast. My name is Ian Tullis. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli as always. Everything's gone wrong in the last couple days. Not much has gone right. The Leafs lost on Saturday night 7-1 to the Penguins, despite Pittsburgh missing all of their good players. Toronto followed that up with a performance against the Carolina Hurricanes that I don't even know how you want to describe it, but it was a look at what Toronto would look like against one of the actual good teams in the NHL. It was probably the best opponent they've faced in a year and a half. So you top that with what we learned about the Chicago Blackhawks today. And as a Leafs fan who loves the sport of hockey, I'm not feeling too great today. Anthony, how are you doing, buddy? Dude, I think this is the first episode we've recorded where you are drinking a beer. I think that sums it up. I need to. It's a Tuesday night. It's 6 p.m., and I don't know what else to do with this team. I, I'm trying to rationally come up with all the answers I can come up with to get cut past my own biases, rewatch a power play shift because maybe in the moment I was feeling emotional. And if I go back and rewatch it when I'm less heated, oh, then that'll give me the answers I'm looking for. And if I go through years worth of numbers, look at large samples, that'll explain everything that I think it's going to explain. And the conclusions I arrive at afterwards are that TJ Brody has sucked in the first seven games of the year. Jake Muzzin has sucked. Alex Kerfoot continues to suck at five on five in the regular season, which was also true last year. And that's a big part of the reason the Leafs are giving up so many chances defensively. We could talk about Marner. We could talk about the fact that he looks lost and looks like a shell of his former self. They're going back to him on the right wall in the power play. There are a lot of things we can unpack today, but I've done a lot of research. I've watched a lot of video. And the answers that I arrive at trying to explain what's wrong with this team are veteran leaders of ice time on defense, which is concerning. Mitch Marner not looking like himself, which is concerning. The power play not looking great, which was also bad last year. None of these answers are good. Help me feel good because I can't. So I have two, let's call them two hope meters. Scale of one to ten. Ten ten being the highest amount of hope, one being the lowest, obviously. Okay. My my hope, or we even call it level of confidence, that they're going to be fine this regular season is still relatively high. I would actually firmly put it at an 8. They're the lowest shooting percentage team in the league right now. We know that's not going to sustain. Don't they lead the league in scoring chances and expected goals for, shots for? Yeah, like they, there, are, there are those underlying numbers that, you know, the PDO is like insanely low. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Mitch Marner has one assist in seven games, and he wasn't even on the ice for it. I guarantee he's not about to rip off a 15-point season. That's in recording now. He's not getting 15 points this year. It's not ha- – like, he's going to he's gonna blow up at some point. Matthews is going to blow up at some point. David Kampf is going to blow up offensively. He's not going to keep putting zero pucks into the back of the net. I think that's a problem. We can discuss that a little bit further <laughs> later on. You know, John Tavares looked kind of shitty to start last season as well, even though I know he was uh, I know he was productive right out of the gate. But basically, after his like first few game bender, he just he really didn't look good and people were getting on him a little bit. I think he's going to figure it out. You know, Nylander looks good. Like they're going to figure it out in the regular season. 
that's one meter. It's high. That they're going to figure it out and be a playoff team and all that shit's going to come into play. And no one's worried about that. No one was worried about this team missing the playoffs. But my level of faith in these guys in a game that actually matters in the playoffs in anything that requires some level of mental fortitude is like 0.5. So here's what really concerns me is when things tighten up in the neutral zone. This happens in the playoffs. This happens against good teams. It's part of the reason coaches really care about these games where things are tight and there isn't much room out there. If you're an elite hockey player, it's still your job to break through that and generate some type of offense. Mitch Marner in the last three games of the playoffs, games five, game six, game seven, couldn't generate anything. He looked broken. His last couple games he's played, he looks broken. He looks psychologically damaged. I feel bad for him generally, genuinely, because I've watched him play since he was 17 on the London Knights, 16. I've watched this kid play so much, and when he's playing with confidence, enthusiasm, he looks like he's having fun out there. He's one of my favorite players in hockey to watch. Watching him on the penalty kill in London, watching him make those backdoor passes, 95-plus point seasons are what you expect out of him, and he doesn't look like that right now. I'm convinced he'll finish the season with close to 90 points. Above a point per game, wouldn't be shocked if the shooting percentage eventually comes back in his favor. The more concerning thing to me is where does he play on the power play? Because they're moving him back to the right wall. That's where he's always felt most comfortable. When he had Kadri in the middle of the ice and James Van Riemsdyk down low, he was excellent at making that little one-two. He'd either go slap pass to Kadri or down low to JVR. Maybe now that you have him on the right wall, he's looking for the one-timer to Nylander or down low to, to Tavares. Maybe that's something they go for right now. But it concerns me that Marner is the one who's performing poorly. Marner's the one who's failing to gain the zone on the power play. He's the one who isn't doing much dangerous at 5-on-5 right now. And yet he's the one being rewarded with a bigger role because at the end of the day, he's an $11 million player and he's going to need to perform at that level if they're going to win. I'm more frustrated that someone like William Nylander, who's the zone entry king on this team, who when you give him a puck in the defensive zone, he'll carry it right through a trap into the offensive zone and pass someone else the puck. Why isn't he the one being given that drop pass on the power play? And I think it's internal politics. I think it's because Marner has that contract. He has the A on his jersey. And he's going to be the one who gets the puck on the drop pass. Aspects like that, when we're evaluating the game of hockey, piss me off to no end. Because I just want to see the best players with the best skill sets put in a position to succeed. Nylander isn't with his puck transporting ability. Marner isn't with his lack of shooting ability from the walls. Yet we're doing it to acquiesce the highly paid talent on the team. I get frustrated with it, and I guarantee you a lot of people are in a similar boat. They need to go two units. They really do. And if anything, just to tr- start building some internal competition, I'd actually just split them into two and say, whoever's going is is going to play, and whoever's not, sit the fuck down. See, I always hate that way of solving problems because I feel like the best teams in the NHL load up their top power plays. I feel like they just put their best talent on the ice. Yeah, but you'll but you'll trend back there, but but give it a few months of like we need to get some internal competition going. Like last night there was a lot of stupid things said after the game that pissed me off, but there was one little one that actually bothered me to no end. I I sat I sat around today just thinking about it cuz I'm a loser degenerate. Like, I do have a job and I was working. A lot of us are frustrated right now. A lot of us are staring at the wall during the middle of the day just thinking, man, why is this happening? What can we do here? Yeah. So he talked about, he was asked about the continued struggles of the top power play unit. And the second power power play unit 
looked good. Like, they actually had chances. Jason Spezza quarterbacking an effective power play unit? Who could have seen this coming? So Keefe, when asked about this, and now I'm reading a direct quote, the pressure from Carolina with their top penalty killers playing against our top guys got the better of us tonight. The second unit maybe doesn't face the same level of competition, but those guys have done a good job and came close tonight. Fuck off. Imagine if you're a player on that second power play unit and you're just like, yeah, thanks for basically just saying like the only reason we looked good is because we played their shitty penalty killers. It was like shit for shit and we came out ahead. What do you think Sandine and Spezza are saying to each other after they hear that? They're going, yeah, I'm failing to make great passes to Nick Ritchie and Michael Bunting. This is why we're struggling. I'd be like, I'm sorry. Are you just saying that we were successful because those guys were shit? Meanwhile, our power play, our top power play unit that makes, what, $50 million as a whole? Like, sucks. This is the Keefe stuff that drives me nuts. I think that's such a bullshit comment. I think... That is a perfect example of the divide between the top guys on the team and how they're treated and everybody else. He could have just straight up said the second power play unit had success because they got pucks to the net and they won battles and our top unit doesn't want to do it. Like, who are the guys you're putting on blast? He's actually putting down the guys on the second power play unit to make the top power play unit guys that, again, combined for how much money to make them feel better? Like, That is so fundamentally wrong. Like, I just, this is my biggest concern. When we talk about the faith meters, yeah, they're going to figure it out during the season. We all know that. It would be a stunner if they don't make the playoffs. But this is the shit this guy does at the end of the day. It's always about the top guys. Nobody else exists. That's not how teams win championships. That's not how teams go far in the playoffs. And it's just like, of all the stupid things he said yesterday, that one really rubbed me the wrong way. See, I I disagree in that. I think championship-level teams do lean on their star talent. At the end of the day, those are the guys you need to perform if you're going to win. Of course they do, but they don't say, like, these guys are the only ones that matter and then make excuses when the bottom guys actually look good in comparison to the top guys. Keith has at least called out Marner on nights when it was, let's shit on Nick Ritchie night. He says, no, 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 Marner and Matthews were also bad tonight. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate accountability to some level being talked about, even though in the media, you're not going to say everything that you're saying to your players. And this brings up the point about Sheldon Keefe. After the game against Carolina, he said, oh, this is another lesson for us to learn. The Pittsburgh game was a lesson for them to learn. I know that's just a little soundbite that you're giving the media that I'm sure you don't even believe. But it drives the rest of us crazy, and I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sure everyone else is. So I don't even know why we're talking about it. I don't think they have any accountability. They never just seem to address problems head on. It was like, even after last night, so they lose. And to me, that game was never in question. Like at pretty much no point did I think the Leafs were actually winning that game because I watched it. Shots were 20 to nine halfway through the game, even though the Leafs had more puck possession, which is a topic we should definitely bring up soon. And we will. And then after the game, Matthews goes, direct quote, obviously losing sucks, especially losing a couple in a row. Dude, you think people are mad because you've lost a couple games in a row in the regular season? You think that's what's pissing people off? If I'm Austin Matthews and I'm looking in the mirror right now, am I, is it my fault that this team isn't succeeding? 100%. It always has to start with your best player. I don't think he's played that poorly. On principle alone, it has to start with their best player. Even if he doesn't believe it, he has to sit there and say, I'm the best player on this team. I need to lead by example. And other than scoring the goal early on, 
Was he a, was he a monster against Carolina? No, he wasn't. Were you watching going, this is a guy trying to take over the game and drag his team through a battle? But he looked decent in the Pittsburgh game decent. when everyone else looked sure. terrible. And there there are games where he's generated a million chances and the puck hasn't gone in. So You look decent against a, half an AHL team. Congrats. He needs to be better. You guys lost 7-1, but you looked half decent and the rest of the team looked like dog shit. Let's get this guy another million dollars. Let's project the next 75 games to for fun. Sure. Austin Matthews is going to score at a 50 goal rate. I'm not super concerned about that. So I don't know what we're talking about, frankly. I think he's going to be Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner's a concerning one. We'll definitely talk about that more. We've got an hour here. We're only 12 minutes in, so buckle up, Marner fans. John Tavares is concerning. He starts season slow, but he hasn't been a point-per-game player since his first year with the Leafs when he had that 47-goal year with Marner. Since then, below point-per-game, well below a point-per-game right now. It's early. He deserves more goals. I think he should have four goals and does have one if we're looking at the difference between expected and actual goals. And he's historically been an above-average finisher. So those pucks are going to go in at some point. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about him failing to break down guys one-on-one, looking slower than usual. Jake Muzzin, I have the same complaint. TJ Brody can't make a breakout pass. And that's a problem. That's a very big problem. He's just puzzling right now. There was one play in the in the second period. No, it was the first period in front of their bench where they were kind of going on a line change and there was a guy loosely pressuring him. He just like spun it right and then just like threw the puck right in front of their bench as they were making a line change. And it turned into a, I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Like, just skate it behind the net. Like, be a veteran. So one of the things with trying to gif and find the right video clips is I don't want to just show goals because I'm sure everyone watches the highlights. I'm sure a lot of people who read my stuff have actually watched, hashtag watched the games. I have a gif actually. Do we say gif or gif, by the way? That's a, a human crisis that we haven't solved yet. But I say gif because I'm on the tool. But I, I say the there, same thing, but whatever. GIF. There was one. There was one I wanted to talk to you about, even though it's not out there. But it just made me think about you when we talk about playoff hockey. The difference. Okay. So against San Jose, first shift of the game, predictable. Top line starts the game, predictable. They get run over, as they always do to start a game. <sighs> and as they're getting run over during the shift, eventually it just the 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 puck goes up the wall. And Mitch takes a look and nobody's open. And then he just circles back and San Jose guys are like, screw it. And they just like float off and go for a line change. And the Leafs go for a line change and everybody gets their free line change in. The Leafs maintain possession and off we go. That is not playoff hockey. Like teams do not give up on shifts like 45 seconds in to running over the other team's line start the game. This is a really good topic. This is the possession versus attacking north south and trying to take advantage of the defense when they're not set when they're not ready for you versus the Pierre Engvall reloading let's get five people behind the puck it's just not playoff hockey like players don't give up on shifts like that like if you go watch that first shift against San Jose it's like that was how they started every game in particular against Boston it was like Bergeron line would would start the game obviously they're incredible and they would just wreck them for the first shift. And at the time, I attribute it to them being young. You know, you eventually sit there and go, okay, like, these guys are young. They're playing the best line in the league. Like, you know, use some common sense. But at some point, like, when are these guys going to get it? Like, set the tone with how you start a game. At the same time, 
that style of play you just said, where you have someone swing back, the, the plan is to build up from the back, bring everyone back, and then move up as a unit. Don't I want that with the puck on William Nylander's stick? It's fine. In the regular season, it's fine. I'm saying the way that Marner peeled back and the way that the San Jose line just said fuck it and went for a line change without even like giving him a, a second look, like they literally floated by him. Well, this is the Travis Dermott thing too, where he's sitting behind his net with the puck for an extra five to 10 seconds where he doesn't really need to be there. If there's a chance to make a play, you should probably make a play, right? When the space is there. So does it make sense to play all year, not playoff style hockey and then get to the playoffs and then you have to figure it out? And this is, I think, why it's going to be good for the Leafs to play teams like Carolina, Florida, Boston, Tampa Bay, good hockey teams in the regular season because they didn't get to do much of that last year. Who was the best team they played? Montreal? Okay, can we all, like, I know it's early. I know someone's going to whine about it. But can we just put to bed the Canadian division stuff? Because last year, we like, anyone with even a semblance of common sense was like, this division sucks. It's not the real world. I'm sorry. Like, they haven't played, they hadn't even played a top 15 team yet this year, in my opinion. Wait, you don't think Carolina's a top 15 team? No, before Carolina. Before Carolina, I was going to say. Until the Carolina game. And Pittsburgh obviously is a top 15, just not with that lineup. Can I disagree and say that I like Montreal as a top 10 NHL team when they had Philip Deneau, Thomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher on the top line, when Cole Caulfield came in and could score some goals, if Carey Price activates playoff mode? Yeah, playoff price, I'll give them. I'll give them that. Okay. I mean, if you have playoff price, very similar to my boy, Playoff Bennett, who looks real good right now in Florida, by the way. If I have a team who outshoots real and out, outchances Vegas at 5-on-5, five five, do I not have a good hockey team? Yeah, if you have playoff price, I mean, you're going to be good. No, screw playoff price. Let's say both goaltenders play league average hockey. Montreal outplayed them that series. I couldn't believe it. I'm not going to have a referendum on the Habs, but it was stunning how, how much they outplayed Vegas. Like, that was wild, and it still bothers me. Because Toronto ragdolled them the first four games to an unprecedented extent. And then the next three games happened. The point is, is they were living in fairy tale land for, I think, a few things. I think the Brody hype that we talk about was a little like Brody is good, but I think it was I think it was exasperated. I don't think he does any one thing particularly exceptional, but I think he's a really solid defenseman on the whole. Defending the rush and taking away the pass through the middle of the ice. Is that not something he does exceptionally when he's on his A game? I want to frame this right because that obviously matters, but it's not enough of a like difference-making thing. When you play with Morgan Riley, I think it is. Maybe with Riley, but like in general, like you can't just be like, "This guy's disgusting" because like <laughs> he breaks up like one extra pass in the neutral zone like every three games. Martin Marincin, like, baby. It's just it's not enough, right? <laughs> like you, it, I get what you're saying. Like I'm not taking anything. I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he's a solid, dependable. Defend, within reason, dependable. I mean, I'm still not over Tim Stutzla walking him to eternity in the second game of the season. And I think he's been throwing pizzas. Like, he's basically opened up a pizzeria since this season has started. And I'm sure he's going to sort that out. So, Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin stopped moving the puck efficiently last season. Early on, Brody stopped moving the puck efficiently. How many guys playing big minutes for the Leafs can move the puck right now? Because Muzzin, I'm kind of worried. Hall doesn't look that great, and he didn't look that great last year either. When he, His adjusted numbers, when you take his line mates into account, have been terrible the last two years. So the worst part is, too, and I don't want to go down some rabbit hole, because uh, you have Austin Matthews in his prime, and you have Nylander in his prime, and like they're good. 
like not like not just those players, but the team as a whole. But some of the succession planning in place, it's like Riley's a pending UFA, Muzzin's getting older, Brody's getting older, and on defense you basically have Sandine, who honestly, I've there's been some concerning stuff in his game so far, my opinion. Can I can I say some things about Sandine then? Because I think him and Dermot have been fantastic to start the year, and I think you need to play them more and the older guys less. I do think that I do think they need to give Dermot more. And I don't know if you saw when I wrote it, but it basically said like Dermot played three games and then they put Lilgren in and Lilgren in that one game played more shorthanded than Dermot did across three. And it's like, how can Timothy Lilgren walk in and go on the PK? But Travis Dermot, who's close to 300 games played in this league, can't kill a penalty. So that to me says that the coaching staff doesn't trust Travis Dermott in his own end defensively. They don't. I don't think they've developed him at all. I think it's actually a a significant indictment on the coaching staff. Like when, when I go through, it's like Dermott has not been developed at all. They've actively neutered him as much as they can. It's just like they've completely stripped his ice time. They've not developed him at all. They haven't taught him how to play a single special team. Like they don't do shit with Dermott. And I think he's been fantastic at five on five this year. I think he's been solid. I think they should actually play him more, to your point. I agree. I think that's a huge indictment of the staff. Obviously, what's happening with Martiner is a huge indictment. Like, What do you even do with that one? What, how do you solve that? You have to start finding him easier matchups, but not necessarily alongside star players. Like, I, I, I think that, and this was the other thing I wanted to say about that quote with Matthews, is I don't think that they address problems head on. Like, they don't, right? Like, Matthew's sitting there being like, it's oh, it's a couple of losses in a row. It's like, dude, like that's not what people are upset about. It's the Joe Thornton, hey, we're in first place when we're actually talking about a problem. Yeah, like, fuck off, man. Like, we all saw what happened in the playoffs <laughs> last year. Everyone was sitting here going, like, how are you guys going to respond to it? And then we watched the San Jose game, and it's like, the coach calls you guys out, and then you do what you did on Saturday against Pitt, and you didn't look good against Carolina. Like, people are not upset because the three... It's because of how you guys respond. Like, the Raptors yeah. played that night, too. And they played Chicago. And they went balls out. Like, I, like they lost. And Fred missed the winning. I was going to say, Fred that missed the tying shot. But they left it out there. Like, no one had any complaints. No one was like, wow, like, Fred... If you watched a second of that game, and I did, you watched and you're like, Fred is a winner. Fred is a winner, and he's doing everything in his power to bring this young group along. And people can accept that. Like, this market, more than most other markets, can accept a team that they feel is giving a maximum effort and doing as much as they possibly can within their talent level, regardless of the result. Like, this market. And the are so different. Their talent level is insanely high. The names on this roster, when they're on their A game, it's a over 100-point roster who should be a top-five team cup contender. And this is what pisses people off. So when they see a comment where it's like, it's just a couple losses. Like, obviously, it sucks. Like, you're missing it. Like, you are missing it. You really genuinely are. And when people are mad at Mitch, like... And and people get, you know... I saw the mocking on the weekend where it's like, well, Tampa's had a slow start and Vegas has had a slow start. Nobody's shitting on them. Compare the Leafs to teams who have made it to the cup final. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if the Leafs win two cups with this core and they start the season like this in year three... I will light anybody on fire that talks shit about that. I A lot of us coming into this regular season said we didn't care about the regular season for this Leafs team because it doesn't matter. The only moments we're going to care about are against good teams when things tighten up 
and you need to perform in a high-pressure situation. Every time that's happened this year, the Leafs have cratered. Nobody in their right mind can trust them. You can't. You can't. It, it Logically, you cannot trust them. If there's a big game tomorrow, everybody's watching. The spotlight's on them. Not a single soul on this planet other than maybe half the team, maybe half the coaching staff, probably Paul Marner, are going to sit there <laughs> and say, I think these guys are going to come out and play their best. Darren Ferris is sorting through on-ice shooting percentages right now, and he's sending them to everyone in Marner's life. It's crazy. <laughs> and I think I think they need to have a genuine discussion, like, if they're not already. And I'm really curious, like, what is Shanahan thinking? Oh, man. How frustrated would you be if you're them? If your paycheck ends in MLSE and your job depends on this team performing and they're not, you're pissed right now. You're not happy. If I was, if I was Kyle Dubas and I've given these guys everything... And I actively went out there this offseason and said, I'm willing to bet everything on these guys. And watching the way that they're playing and the efforts that they're... And I'm not saying they're, like, they're, you know, screwing off and, like, not doing anything or not working hard or any of that shit. Like, I think they're working hard. I don't know. I'll say that about some of Marner's games lately. Are they dialed in from puck drop? No. Are they... Are they proactive? No. They're reactive to everything. Are they the hunted or are they the hunter and they're always looking like the hunted like they're not starting any games where you're like buckle in they're they're ready to go tonight matthew's first game back was pretty special his his first shift was great his first game he led the league in expected goals yeah he had like what a million shot attempts yes you know those pucks are gonna go in if you repeat that game 82 times you'll score 70 or 80 goals yeah and no one said anything about that loss because people aren't like people aren't that dumb like sometimes it gets a little crazy the alex kerfoot stuff to no end oh it it bothers me and i don't want to just start screaming about alex kerfoot for 20 minutes all all off season i said on this podcast and all time comes but why are you so negative kerfoot's a swiss army knife he could play center he could play wing just taking shifts guys You are delusional. He skated fast for a week and a half in the playoffs, and everyone lost their mind and forgot how bad he was during the season. Alongside William Nylander, quality of Who was on an absolute heater. Who was on a heater. When you play with a star player who has consistently raised the performance of the players around him, and you have a raised performance, we shouldn't be shocked. So when Kerfoot, I don't care when he plays with Nylander. When he plays without Nylander, he gets destroyed at 5-on-5. Gets filled in. I'm talking 45% shots, chances, expected goals. The He's stuck on defense because when he breaks the puck out with his speed, he skates himself towards the boards, gets angled into a dump-in, doesn't win the puck race, and now he's back on defense again. He's on defense 55% of the time. That's bad. And I don't even trust him that much defensively. So I don't know what you're paying $3.5 million for when teams were willing to trade for this guy in the offseason. When... They could have just lost him for free. They would have just claimed him. By the way, how's Jared McCann doing? Just a stat update on Jared McCann. How's he doing right now? I could care less about Jared I... McCann. That's not the problem. I think it matters. When Justin Hall's playing poorly and Jared McCann's playing excellent hockey, I think it matters. The, the worst thing is, is like what was, their, what was their plan B, though, without Hall? Timothy Lilligren. And don't say it was just like... You can't don't play Lilligren, Lilligren with Muzzin right no. now and they're not playing decent? No. Are we sure Timothy no. Lilligren today isn't a better hockey player than Justin Hall? I'm 100% you sure. You are 100% sure? I'm not 100% sure. 100, 100 I'm need to, maybe even 100 I'm going to need to see more games alongside Muzzin. How many has Hall had in his career? How many has Lilligren had? Dude, 
Lilligren hasn't made a play. Like, and I like Lilligren. Any listener of this podcast will know. Like, he's he's been solid. I, he, he's been, like, I think he's an NHL player. I think he can take shifts in the league, no questions asked. But Lilligren has never made a play of significance in his life in this league. And you can't just sit there and be like, this guy's instantly better than Justin Hole. His Hall had made a play of significance the last two seasons. 100%. He was good. Who did he rip the overtime winner against Ottawa? That was sick. See, I'm just seeing him fail to make plays Ottawa offensively. Out of the corner, he's late reading an easy pass to an open teammate. Montreal was when he beat uh, when he beat Carey Price with that like clean clapper from like the t- like the top of the blue line like no screen like, which was the prime Shea Weber yeah no maybe yeah <laughs> maybe he's an offense when he was a juggernaut earlier in the season when he was the Norris front runner also they all but announced Weber's retirement today Druin basically saying like like he's done and and he's starting already like scouting and like doing shit with the organization just wants to say like also when you throw in the cross-checking crackdown there's no way he can play in this league anymore but i love weber and i just wanted to recognize that for a second like hell hell of a hell of a career just like that guy's a leader my favorite was the uh the heat maps if you look at when weber was on the ice against the other team's top players it was just a pool of blue in front of the net you didn't get chances from the good spots on the ice because he was there destroying people in front. I just, yeah, I I like those. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people do. I just have a throw, you know, a soft spot in my heart for those throwback kind of guys. And Weber is a throwback kind of guy. And Chris Pronger kind of guy, because yeah, murders I, you anytime you come near the crease. Yeah, and just you know some meanness. And and to that point, I do actually think Muzzin is going to be okay. I think he's going to figure it out. You do. I do. Okay, I'm I'm concerned. I, I and that's the thing. Like some of the stuff where it's like I do think Muzzin's gonna figure it out. Marner is gonna figure it out. But my thing is, a lot of the core fundamentals to me of why they suck in the playoffs are still in place. Their power play is still dog shit. They don't know how to start games properly. Keith's answer is seemingly always to stack the top line. I thought it was particularly embarrassing after the game last night that he talked about Carolina as a cup contender. And it's like, we've been rebuilding for six years. We went through a full rebuild for this, for him to, for Carolina to handily beat them. And then he sits there and goes, well, that's a cup contender. We could learn from them. In an 82 game regular season, you're going to lose to teams. It's going to happen. That's fine. But the mentality is wrong. The mentality is we're supposed to be a cup contender. We're supposed to take it from to teams. We're not supposed to learn from a team that's never even gone to the Stanley. That's not even a core that's gone to the Stanley Cup. They made it to a Eastern Conference final, right? I don't give a shit. They didn't go to the cup. It's not like they won a cup. It's not like you can sit there and say, like, this is the beacon of success. <sighs> now, if Tampa comes in and they hand it to you, and you sit there and you say, Tampa's the bar. They've won the last two. That's the bar. That's where we need to get to. I think we're close, but we obviously have work to do. That's a message I can get behind. But Carolina is not that. I'm sorry. They're not. And I love Carolina. I think they're a great team. I think they're a top five team in the league. It's not to put anything against them. You think Carolina's a top five team in the league? I do. I do. But I don't think they've done enough. I don't think they've... I don't think Carolina has done enough to the point where you just brought up right there where you're like, you think they're a top five team in the league? Yeah. You could debate it quite easily. That's not a team where you can sit there and say, this is a cup... This is... This is a team that we reference in terms of the Stanley Cup and a level we need to hit. The fact that you're not hitting that is problematic. Yeah, I'd care again. I care more against the, about the games against Tampa, Boston, and Florida. So 
Those are going to be the measuring yeah, in stick your games division. For me. Yeah, no, exactly. And very soon, like after this, after this next game against Chicago, they play Vegas, Boston, Tampa. That's those are some measuring stick games. There, you're close to looking at like this could very much go off the rails, and you could actually be very close to looking at a coach firing. And I, you know, That's maybe now's the, the right time to bring it up, and we'll get to Muzzin soon. So, if this were Mike Babcock right now, a lot of us would be screaming for a coaching change. You'd say that he's lost the room. That the star players, even the star defenders, Muzzin and Brody look lost. Marner looks lost. You've got to do something. The power play looks lost. We need a change in leadership. But the hard part here is that Dubas and Keefe are attached at the hip. And they have been for the last 11 years. They've been working side by side. And if you want Dubas as the man running your organization, and this is his hand-picked coach, can he fire Keefe and bring in a new coach in the regular season? I don't think he can. Are you going to fire your general manager? 10 games into the season it depends how ugly it gets because at some point like it will it will get ugly to to the point where you're just doing the guy a favor you know like i remember when burke fired ron wilson and he said i thought it would be cruel and unusual punishment to have him coach another game at the acc and they're not there yet but believe me man like they're they're like another I would say at max a week. Like if they, if this goes on for like four more games, like they're that close from it being just beyond beyond toxic. Like to the point where the, the fan base will just basically make it happen. And that's what I mentioned. That's why I mentioned Shanny because they haven't sold out a game yet. And people don't care. I I've the Raptors sold out yesterday. Jeez. That's sad. At and you don't think MLSC is like picking this up? Like the it's it's a combination of apathy and just pure hate at this point. Like people are so mad at this team and this group of players. And when it starts hitting MLSE in the wallet, that's when they take notice. Thought exercise here. Let's fire Sheldon Keefe after the Leafs lose poorly to Chicago. And it's an embarrassment for many reasons, including the, the lack of players that they're going to have in that game available to them. Lose to Vegas, lose to Tampa. Who else are they facing? Boston. They lose all those games. Embarrassingly, they get Nick Patan shoots the puck into Fleury's glove. He gloves it and ends Mike Babcock's coaching tenure for the Leafs. Something similar like that happens with Sheldon Keefe over these next few games. Who are you bringing in to replace him? Who's going to solve this? That's That's been the toughest thing for that I've been trying to reconcile. Like who... Who can you bring? And I think it's I think it's interesting too as Chicago comes up. So Chicago has a young head coach, and Sheldon Keefe has had a young head coach, and both of those guys are just walk, overseeing things go completely off the rails, like completely. I think it's a drastically different situation between Toronto and Chicago. I don't think Chicago should be six games into the season have not led a game at any point in time bad. Anyone who thought Chicago was going to be good this year, I think you just need to reevaluate how you're looking at the sport. I didn't, they, think, they were, they, I didn't think they'd be good unless Fleury was like spectacular. But at, it was fair to think they'd be at least respectable. One of those teams that hangs around for like 55, 60 games before like reality hits, and then they don't, you know what I mean? Like, like they're like somewhat, like they're around, but like they're not overly taken serious, but they're there. They bleed scoring chances at the league worst rate. The Leafs were one of the best defenses in hockey last year. I think they're apples and oranges if we're comparing them. Maybe, but but the way that things are going off the rails is not just it's not just on the night on the ice for the Leafs. I think it's off the ice too. I think you know you mentioned about the power play. 
I just think it's a meritocracy across the board. I think it's very evident that the top guys run it. I think when your second power play unit has a good showing and then you just sit there and put them down by saying that, well, they're going up against like the shitty or penalty killing unit. Like it took Marner just being like God awful for so many games for him to like get moved and like demoted. It took like just an awful offensive zone penalty for him to get sat. And he still let all forwards a nice time that game. And you look and the one that would be, well, I mean, Bruce Prudrow would probably be the best coaching option. He would be super interesting. Friend of the podcast. Incredible guy. Scotty Bowman. He, uh, <laughs> n- yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other one would be Claude Julien. Claude Julien came to mind for me, but I know his problem has always been creativity with high-end offensive players. and A hundred percent it would. Yeah. But he would have them rolling and playing the kind of style that's successful in the playoffs. Their five-on-five shot and scoring chance differential, I guarantee it would go up. It would, be, it would be great, and he would actually prioritize and realize the value of having four lines running. I just I can't really think of too many times, and it's definitely not a regular thing under Sheldon Keefe teams, where they're just like, they're wave after wave, line after line, just coming at you, coming at you. Like, that's what good teams do. It's like, next shift, let's go, next shift, let's go, next shift, let's go. And it's like quick, hard shifts. And they just keep attacking. They keep attacking. And sometimes the Leafs talk about that like modern puck possession style. Like we want to be aggressive and in your face. I'm like, if you want to sustain that, then you need 40 second shifts. And you need a minimum three lines rolling. And you guys have never even once tried to configure your team to match that. And that's why I've always talked about Nylander at center. And someone brought up a good point this week actually on Twitter, which I thought was worth discussing. We talked about succession planning on defense. How many more seasons, if at all? Do you think John Tavares has as a center in this league? If he's not a center next year, who's who's their second line center? Alexander Kerfoot. Yeah, good thing <laughs> that they didn't teach William Nylander how to play center at all or give him any shifts there or give him any look there at any point ever. David Camp for the defensive responsibility. He'll be your Sean Couturier. You should quite logically be grooming Nylander to be the, like, the second line center. The hardest part is that the defensive responsibilities, I think, are what gonna are what's gonna concern you with Tavares with his lack of foot speed at this point in his career. Claude Giroux, similar thing happened. You put Sean Couturier there so that he handled all the defensive responsibilities, played selkie level hockey, and Claude Giroux put up a hundred points in his first new season as a winger after really falling off. I think the season before that he had fifty eight points and it was looking like his career might be over soon. With Tavares, I'm seeing something kind of similar and I like what you're saying. Hey, you might need to move this guy over and put in another top six center to replace him. The problem they is that no you don't options. have that top six center. You don't. You don't have him. They don't even have they don't even have a third line center. What's Jason Spezza? What position is he? He's really more of a winger. Like I know that he's been playing a little bit of center, but he's really best when he takes the draw and then he moves over, which he was doing a, a lot more with Pierre Ingball there. How come Nick Ritchie can get spot duty on the top line? Joe Thornton can get spot duty on the top line. But Jason Spezza can never get spot duty alongside really good players. I told you, like, it doesn't, that they're, they have a culture of, like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not rewarded for on ice performance. You are, your play is based on your merit. And what, what else does he have to do? He's been so good for the last nothing, man. 56 games of last year, seven games this year. The playoffs, he was good. When he had the hat trick in like eight minutes. And, like, he basically didn't play after that. Nothing was funnier. Like, it just – that's the stuff. Like, I just – 
I don't get it. And that's why I always sympathize with Mikheyev in that speech where he goes in and he's just like, well, I'm playing like 11 minutes and Dubas is like trying to coddle him and stuff. But he's really sitting there, like I said, and he's going, it doesn't really matter what I do. I could play sick. I could have three fights and have a hat trick halfway through the game. I'm still going to play 12 minutes. Nick Ritchie looks like a ghost when he plays with Marner and company in the top six, plays one game with Jason Spezza and looks like a two and a half million dollar player again. Is that a coincidence? I don't think it is. I think Spezza makes everyone around him better with his passing, his deking, yeah, his offensive ability. Is these things show up in I, the metrics, and they don't play him. I'll happily admit I was wrong on Spezza. I hated that signing, but he looks sick. Like I thought he was done. To, like you can't say anything bad. I thought he was done. His last year in Dallas, I thought he was going to retire. He looked done. Uh, I was like, why are they signing this guy? Like he's done. He's got nothing left. He looks unreal. Kudos. I do remember his first preseason game for the Mike Babcock Leafs. I gave him five stars, gave him player of the night. And my, my notes were, I was impressed that, oh my God, the vision is still here. The passing ability is still here. I could see him running a power play with the way he looks right now. And Mike Babcock, after the game, said, well, he's not a penalty killer. <laughs> yeah, Babs. Something has changed, though, for Spezza because his skating looks a lot better. Like, there, that was my biggest concern. I was like, his, he's not, he's not going to lose his hands, and he still has an absolute bomb. I didn't think he was going to skate well enough. Yeah, but his skating is good. His acceleration still kind of sucks. His acceleration, it, it takes him a while to get from 0 to 60, but he gets to 60, and he blows by guys. But his legs look fresh. It's not like you're watching Joe, and like he can't even lift them. Well, maybe that's an ice time thing. Maybe their sports science team says that he he's optimized at 10 minutes a night. Also, on Monday, Joe scored a power play goal, and I almost threw up my mouth, by the way. For, uh, he has more points, I think, sick. than Mitch Marner this season. Makes I think sick. that's a fact that I saw. Jared McCann has way more points than him this season. Pfft. How's Sam Bennett doing? Remember when you actually debated if, we would trade, if you would trade Kerfoot for Sam Bennett, and I said you're insane? I still don't think that that contract I'm not going to want in my books for the next four years. Yeah, I know. I think he was. I think he was a little bit overpaid, but I would. I would happily have someone on the team like that who could actually competently be a second line center and could actually just run guys absolutely over. I think ultimately, when we look at the team, it's just hard for me in their current iteration to think that like this is going to be a successful recipe. Like ultimately, I look at it and I think like. Mitch will have to be the guy that they like look to move. Like obviously Matthews is worth his money. Nylander is obviously worth his money. Tavares, you're not moving. Are you winning a Marner trade? Unless you go Marner for Eichel, is there a trade out there that makes sense? And that's the worst part, right? Because you're probably not winning the trade straight up, but you have to get as close to you as you can of value. But this is what happens when you decide you need to trade Taylor Hall. You decide you need to trade Tyler Sagan. You go, oh, young offensive star, not working out here. Let's get value in this trade. You're not. You're not going to get value in that trade. Who who was it? The Boston one. It was Riley Smith and uh, oh, fuck. What else? Um, in that trade, it was so Sagan went to Dallas. And then they got Riley Smith, who is a decent player. And oh, they got like Joe Morrow, Louis Erickson, who's actually good for them. Um, <laughs> Most underrated player in the league for his entire career. Actually, Louis Erickson, the biggest mistake he made of his career was leaving Boston because he had a plump spot beside Bergeron and Marchand. It was just feasting. But that would be a good example of like, Sagan is disgusting. Like you can't just like trade a guy and be like, well, we got these two decent players back, Riley Smith and Louis Erickson, who are two, or at least were in Erickson's case, like two legitimately solid players. But you can't just like trade a star 
for two like sevens. And that's that's my point with Marner is that it needs to be a one for one for the trade to make any sense for you. And they need to find a D man, and who's trading a good D man for a small winger that won't shoot? And what D-man are you even targeting at that point? I, I want a forward back in return, honestly. They need a D-man, though, especially with the Riley. And that the Riley situation, which we talked about it when Dory was on this podcast. I'm just calling her Dory. And, uh, <laughs> like, honestly, like, they're, like they're, look where the team is right now. And suddenly you're like, this better smooth out because they kept him to go on another run this year. And they look and they look the furthest thing from being ready to go on a run. The Leafs made a lot of quote unquote anti analytics moves, a lot of win now moves where you're kinda trying to improve your present wins at the cost of future wins. The John Tavares signing is one of them, where in his first three years he's gonna look good, in the back four years it's gonna look bad. Jake Muzzin in his thirties, TJ Brody in his thirties, signed to a long term contract. First year or two, they're gonna look great. Back half, they're not gonna look so great. They're not looking great now. They're on the decline, and I don't see them getting much better. Muzzin's off of two injuries, and he looks slow. 32 years old, I don't see him gaining a step. I know people have been floating that he's hurt, so why is he playing? Well, I don't know. I, I'm not. A, I'm very much not a doctor, and I don't have inside information here. I can only watch the guy play and tell you what I see. I see him slow. He looks, he looks brutal. I see him failing to move the puck out. I see him. What scares me the most is he can't defend the rush right now. He's usually one of the best on the team at deciding when it's time to close the gap, when it's time to give them a bit more space, and not letting you gain the zone in transition. He's getting beat wide. They gain the zone, they cycle for another 40 seconds, and then Muzzin goes off the ice after giving up a few shot attempts. That's bad, and that never used to be a part of his game. He doesn't even look a step behind. He looks like a step and a half behind. And that worries Almost me. Almost two. Like, it's... it's startling how far behind the plate I'd like to think Brody's gonna get back to what he was last year which because his passing was never what made him great but he was a better passer last year and his rush defense has been subpar this year and that was where he made his money in 2021 so he's just he's steady Eddie that's what he'll be he hasn't been steady Eddie this season I know he hasn't but like any Calgary fan will tell you over the years that he would have runs where he just becomes a chef and and you just live with it and you eat shit. Like, that's the thing. Like, most of the guys that are struggling right now, I'm not worried about it. Like, they're going to figure it out. Like, that, it's it's the additional stuff that goes with it. It's, like, if they started a game well and then it fizzled and guys, you know, Muzzin doesn't look great yet, Brody doesn't look great. Like, those kinds of things came into play. But it's, like, literally everything. It's, like, the only good things that you guys can say are basically you racked up scoring chances against shitty teams and the penalty killing looks respectable. And Jack Campbell looks sick. So Love David Camp in his role. In his role on the penalty kill, defensive zone faceoffs, I like. Third line center is he, insane. He has zero points. He can't, he can't produce enough. As Jeff O'Neill would tell yeah. me, he has zero points. Uh, Ian, Ian wrote an article telling me how... Anthony wrote an article telling me that David Camp's having an unreal season. He has zero points! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does look good, though. He's a great fourth-line center. I've said this the whole time. Like, just make him your checking fourth-line center. Like, he can't score enough to be your third-line center. And it's not... And, like, those are the fundamental things. I'm like, the coach is not figuring this stuff out. Like, he's not even setting them up in a position to succeed long-term because he's playing this guy so fucking much, and it makes no sense. Like, it's just not logical. Andre Kasha on that line makes zero sense, by the way. He's taking a shit on Kasha. Like... 
completely like the thing he's not even situating the team for them to be logically good when the chips are on the table play kasha with either matthews Tavares, or spezza give kasha someone who can play because camp can't keep up with the plays that cash is trying to make like you want to talk carolina being a cup contender their third line center is jordan stall jordan stall is david camp on steroids yeah who had like almost a career year last year in points by the way like he was disgusting last year i mean how hard is carolina looking at david how hard is carolina laughing looking at david camp as the leafs 3c and they're like yeah we have jordan stall like Jesus, like that, like. But if he's your four C, specializing in defensive situations, you like him. You just you don't Camp. have that just, three C that you actually like. This is actually it's really early, so we'll see how it plays out. But we're actually starting to trend towards Randy J McClement levels with this bullshit. <laughs> like we're we're close. Like we're like, get me a toaster. He'll get some selkie votes. Get me a toaster. <laughs> Let's trade back for Phil from Arizona because you know he wants out. Like. We're close. We are very close to Jay and Randy levels with what's happening here. And the the roster configuration, it's just it's driving me crazy. I think that I think that they could be a sick team. I still think that. I but I think they need whether it's key for somebody else, like they need someone to come in and take control. They really do. And you know, Ian, that's where I'm like hysterically gonna say be like, put suits on when you come to the game. Oh my god, shut up. Come to the arena. It no. You know what it is? It's how many concessions has this management group made for this core? Like the Toronto Maple Leafs are the one team in the league that deserves to have that lifted. The Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Like these Toronto no, Maple Leafs. You know Leafs what? Is All like the 32 team. teams should do it. Right? That's how fine. If everybody was right if now? everybody was doing it, then fine. But they're not. Well, that's because hockey sucks as a sport when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But the Toronto Maple Leafs have earned the right. You're right. Hockey is a fantastic culture when it comes to being progressive on issues like clothing. Is that progressive? Well, I don't know. This is the school uniform debate. And of course, rich white people look at it one way. Why Why do... Why, what is the purpose of uniforms? What's the purpose of wearing a suit from the bus to the locker room? It's about uniformity as a team. That's stupid. It's not. It is. It's about coming in this. It's it's about coming in as a team. It's it's that shit that you see on the back of your jersey. It's that honor, pride, courage, militarism bullshit. I'm sorry. Did team is this a team sport or is this the NBA? People in hockey hate people in basketball. NHL people can't watch the NBA people and go, "Oh my god, what's going on in this sport?" You have storylines. You have entertainment. You have personality. It's awful. If you dropped if you dropped prime LeBron on the Orlando Magic right now. How far would that team go? Farther than the Lakers, because maybe they could hit a shot. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you dropped if you dropped Prime McDavid right now on like Ottawa, are they instantly a cup contender? No, that's the difference because that is an individual sport. You could drop Prime McDavid on Edmonton right now, and they're not a cup contender. Like the Raptors could win a championship because Kawhi could be like, "It's in the playoffs. I'm gonna try now." Because that's what the NBA is, and I love the NBA. It's super entertaining. But just straight up, like, that's the dynamics of the league. Like, that's how that league works. It's just straight up? I don't know. That sounds like rich white people speak to me. A lot of this hockey stuff As you stuff literally just said it, the, the dynamics of the NBA is a superstar in the NBA can directly impact winning or losing at a level that a superstar in hockey simply cannot even come close to. Like, not even close. Yep. Like, Edmonton got swept. Edmonton got swept in the first round of the playoffs. And they have maybe two of the top five players in the league. 
Maybe. In football, you have a quarterback who can do it. But yeah, basketball star player impacts your team more than a star in hockey. So it's about team. How is it about team when you have like guys that are be like, I'm gonna wear like a twenty thousand dollar outfit when my like from my like eleven million dollar salary start the game and like you have like the rest of the guys like schlubs and then they play like shit and then the coach comes back after and he goes well the only reason the second power play unit looked good is because they played the shitty second second penalty killing unit you sound like a parent of their kid at a private school while my kid's at public school wearing his mickey mouse shirt to class and i don't see why it's a big deal you sound like a parent protecting the (laughs) like and and pampering the top guys which has been the biggest problem with the team it's like they don't deserve the concession they don't deserve the concession. I don't think Mitch Marner's Mickey Mouse shirt is why he's losing right now. I I don't I don't think John Tavares and his untucked shirt and suit are, have anything to do with his performance. It's not the clothing in a vacuum. It's a culmination of things leading up to it. It's the same way that's like you can look you cannot score a power play goal in like two years, but you're guaranteed a spot on the power. It's like all of that stuff just adds up. It's just another thing on the list. Where Dubas sits there and goes, I'm I'm putting my life basically on these guys. I'm putting my career on these guys. And this is how they play for him. Like, at no point, like, who's running this thing? You know what, Anthony? It's the players. Don Cherry agrees with you on this, uh, you know, wearing professional attire thing. So, clear, he's on the right side of so many issues. That's not the way to look at it. Like, I, I know what you're saying, but th- that's not... You're taking it out of context. It's about being a team. And they don't play like a team. I think there's room for a bit of individuality in this sport where we're so afraid of people showing their personalities, showing their true colors. I think the sport needs a lot more of that. TNT and ESPN have been way more fun this year than any broadcast I've seen. So I want more of it. I don't know if the, I don't know if you're trying to win a championship in this sport, if that is the way that to do it. But yeah, if you want to grow the sport, sure. But if you're trying to win a championship in this sport, I think it actually is about being a team. And making some sacrifice for the greater good. And the Leafs are a beacon of not doing that. And that's why they show up often as the more talented team in the building and lose. You think that has anything to do with the clothes on their back? No, that's what I'm that's that's what I'm saying. You're confusing this. I'm not talking about that as what as the top reason or the hill I'm willing to die on for it. I'm saying it's a culmination of those things. And that's one of them. I strongly disagree. It's a, it's a whole grouping. It's the same way that you come out after the season ends last year in the playoffs and say, Mitch refused to move on the power play because they're entitled. This is a further thing that feeds their entitlement. You think 20 guys went up to management and said, we want to do this? Or do you think a few players making the most money on the team? I think Matthews made it happen. I think he's right. How is it serving them so far? I don't know how anything's serving them right now. I think they need to play better. Yeah, but I don't I think they, I don't think wearing a suit is going to make the team play better. I think the best players on the team playing better is going to make the team play better. I think being a team is going to make the team play better, and they need to evaluate how they're getting there. That's my point. So we'll leave on that note. I hope that right. we. No, your point's well taken. I hope we come back in a week and and they've quieted some of the doubters and even maybe had a big showing against Vegas and whatever. Uh, But if not, like, the the seat is hot. The seat is hot. Anthony, I think we need to wear the same outfits for this podcast to show some solidarity here. I think that's part of the reason our podcasts aren't 
performing so well. It's because our, our attire doesn't match. Our right podcasts now. are performing well. I don't know, man. I think if we had matching bow ties walking into an arena together, I think we'd play so much better. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to transition to a topic that's extremely difficult to transition to, but it's been the biggest story on the timeline today, and for good reason. Anytime sexual assault is covered up by a corporation, by a big company, it's BS, and we get mad about it in the public sphere, as we should. I don't want to say it's something that's exclusive to hockey, but it happens. Behind the scenes, people know about this stuff, and they don't come forward. And I'm glad that this is happening with the Chicago team right now. The list of names that came out who were in the room, who know, knew about the sexual assault, a lot of big names on that list. A lot of names who are denying that they were in the room or denying that they heard things. And it's one big cover-up. It's embarrassing. The lack of leadership seen from guys like Stan Bowman in his most recent public comments are... In a sport where we use these buzzwords, leadership, accountability honor, pride, courage. None of these men have shown any of that in this story. And I highly encourage you to read anything from Rick Westhead or Katie Strang when it comes to this topic, because there are a lot of details that I'm not sure I want to discuss openly on the podcast here. You can read them for yourselves. You can watch videos on the topic. It's something that frankly got almost no coverage in the league over the last couple months. In the playoffs, it was we were learning more about this and you never saw any of it on TV being talked about during the intermissions, which is again, part of the problem access to this information. Everyone knows about it, but no one wants to talk about it publicly. I'm glad that this is coming into the public discourse right now. And we're actually condemning this bad behavior. I don't think it's a problem exclusive to hockey. I think there are a lot of uh, male dominated professions where this is happening, but it's BS and we need to cut it out. I'm curious what your thoughts were today, Anthony, because Man, tensions are high, and they should be. It just it made me sick to my stomach reading it. And uh, it was more the commentary that came out while they were on the run, where it was like, we can't let this interrupt us, and uh, let's sweep it under the rug. And then he was able to, you know, um, attend the celebrations and the parade. And, like, you just have to be human at some point. I mean, that's that's just beyond despicable and disgusting and the whole organization should be embarrassed and the the stan bowman comment that came out after which was basically like trying to schlep it off to the next level above him like you are the president of hockey operations show some leadership i mean what like who just i i read it and it was so stunning I couldn't even imagine being in a situation like that and and you don't instantly... The fact that his first reaction wasn't, this is never happening under my fucking watch and instead was like, how do I schlep this off to somebody else is just awful. You know what really pisses me off too is the players' reaction to it. The players who knew about it, a lot of them were making fun of him in the room about it. Yeah, that's that, that the, was the other thing. What is yeah. that? You have to be some level of demented to do that. Like, that is just... And now they're heroes on social media talking about change who are the same ones in that room saying some things that you shouldn't be saying to a guy who's just been sexually assaulted. And all this for, like, a nondescript, like, video coach or whatever the hell he was. Like, imagine if it was someone of actual power. Well, that's the thing is he does he does still have some power. 
over that player. He can impact whether or not that player is going to get called up, whether he's going to see an increase in minutes. I mean it more from the side of like the organization went to the lengths that they did to cover it up for someone who literally doesn't matter at all. You know, like it wasn't like it wasn't like they were protecting the head coach. Aldrich isn't exactly the biggest name in hockey right now, other than what it is for obvious reasons. But I know what you're saying. I I watch hockey like a psychopath. I could walk past this guy on the sidewalk a million times, even today, and I still wouldn't know who the fuck he is. And this is how far they went to protect him. Like this. So you're under the assumption that there are other cover-ups right now with bigger names, and we're not talking about because we don't know about it. I don't even necessarily want to take it that far, but I'm saying like it's really disturbing the lengths that they went for this like literal no name. So you can't help but wonder what the hell else and who the hell else like that that part just you know the the cover up of i think they could have fired this guy with and no one would have blinked during that cup run too like jesus you would like what like that guy gets fired that's gonna throw you off it comes out and you address it with the team like you don't have to have a full but you don't even have to but you don't even have to make it you don't even have to make it a media thing you could have just fired him and moved on with your life it's so embarrassing, and it's part of the reason this league can drive me crazy at times, but then I'll see similar stories about an oil company or a bank or a law. and every So many industries where people with power over their employees force them into uncomfortable situations. And But in hockey, the fact that they're making fun of it yeah, afterwards, I just think pathetic. is so garbage. And that is a part of the culture that I, I think needs to be erased and i'm hoping that we're making strides towards that uh, do you have any th- closing thoughts on the matter just because you can tell how frustrated we both are about this as we should be from the response online you can see how mad everyone else is mark bergevin's name didn't really come up in any of these he apparently wasn't in the room when this was told but there's a head coach in florida named joel quenville who is definitely aware of this there's a gm in winnipeg named kevin Sheveldayoff who is definitely aware of all this and they all let it happen, and they all are still employed by teams that are trying to make a cup run. The only thing I want to add was this is why um, good journalists matter. Yeah. Rick Westhead, Katie Strange, great job by them. Good journalists matter. They're hard to find. We don't have enough of them in this sport. I mean, most industries do not have enough of you them. Saw, you can find it in basketball, football, soccer. You, you, you can't find it in hockey. There are two people doing it in hockey. Yeah, everyone else is tweeting out quotes, but that's actual journalism. Tell me about it. That's a great way to go out on this. Support the good work of Rick Westhead and Katie Strang because they deserve it, and we need more reporters like them in hockey. We'll see you all next week to talk about the miserable fortunes of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Love you guys. Talk soon. I know what I see